0: And this is what we we pitched to them was, you know, they just had a deal that fell through and we believed that they would value a um, a buyer who had done these deals before who they had confidence would be able to close this deal. Right. So we
1: pitched them on ourselves. And for us at this point, doing a deal this size, it's almost debatable whether we should should do it just from a time investment standpoint where it's. Crazy to think ten years ago, four point eight five million would have been one of my bigger deals. Mm-hmm. I would bought one that size and one for like five and a quarter million, and those are yeah. my two biggest deals. And now I look at it and go like, this is like not worth the time, almost. right? Because right. it's a different different deal too. I have overhead, and um, you know we we can raise more money. We can go after bigger deals, mm-hmm. uh, but the yeah the returns are so compelling. It's like yeah. let's let's get after it. But for that seller, he's looking at us going, these guys are buying. million deals, Mm -hmm. $15 million deals, just buy, we're telling him, like we're literally saying this would be easy to close to him, like this is no problem. I'm Drew Brenneman and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19 year old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Welcome back to the Rise and Invest podcast. We recently closed on another deal in Phoenix and wanted to get on here and shoot an episode about it. Um, My guest today is Sam Markin. Welcome.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me once again.
1: Yeah. No, happy to have you back. And yeah, Sam, he works for for our firm. And a big part of what he does is finding deals and underwriting them and, and pushing them all the way through close. So Sam found this deal off market and wanted to bring him on and chat about the deal. Like a big strategy we have, uh, I guess, is to kind of jump right into it. Um, actually first the price and kind of just a little breakdown on the property high level. It was a 21 unit deal. We paid $4.85 million. Again, it's in Phoenix in the city of Phoenix. Um, built in 1985 and i think did i say the unit count it's 21 21 units um and like a big strategy we have uh is finding off-market deals and so we um you know what we did on this was we did find it off market but through a broker Mm -hmm. so maybe sam you want to tell us how how the deal came about
0: yeah so i mean we're always trying to kind of get creative and you know find Different ways to access, you know, these deals, whether it be direct to seller or through, you know, brokers who haven't officially listed the property. So, um, for this, I, you know, was on CoStar and found a way to pull a list of every single broker that had done at least one deal in the Phoenix MSA um, from the past 12 months. So it ranged from, you know, people on the most active teams all the way down to, um, you know, some, some people on teams who haven't done as much. Um, And really just started going through that list and uh, calling or emailing, just trying to find some way to contact every broker on there Um, for this deal. You know, in one of those calls, um, a younger broker answered the phone, and, you know, I told him about our company, what we're looking for. And he mentioned that he might have a property that he knew of. He wasn't officially the selling broker on it, um, but he knew the seller and knew that he was currently under contract with a first time buyer. Um, so, you know, somebody who has never bought a multifamily property before, um, but uh, n- thought that the deal might not close. Um, I think the reason was that the buyer was trying to use agency financing and the property was not stabilized. Um, you know, something you, you learn uh, as, you, as you're in the business a little bit right. that that's not going to work. Right. Um, so you can learn
1: more about those episodes too. We did I yeah. those those loans. We shot a recent episode with Jim Boza. if anybody wants to check it out. Um, I don't have the episode number in front of me, but that one uh, that's all Jim Boza does. and I' just to jump in, uh, we've done like 30 loans with uh, Freddie or Fannie. So mm-hmm. when we right when you said that to me, I go there's no way they're closing this because they size the loan based on the lesser of uh, the LTV or a 120 debt cover on that right. program. Uh, 125 debt cover on the conventional larger loans. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that the loan proceeds are going to be tiny on that because it's like a half full billing. Mm -hmm. So, right,
0: exactly. So, you know, um, you were confident, you know, as soon as I told you that, that, that it wasn't going to close. So, you know, we had the broker send us some info on the deal and, you know, I plugged it into our model and the deal, um, jumped off the page Uh, we underwrote it at the same price that the previous buyer had it under contract for so you know that's a price from three months ago you know whenever they initially went under contract um, and we were underwriting it at that that price to see what the deal looked like you know we didn't know yet um, what they were going to ask from us and and you know if they wanted to take it back to market um, the the broker mentioned that the seller had thought about doing that, um, but you know, ultimately, I think you know they valued, and and this is what we we pitched to them was, you know, they just had a deal that fell through, and we believed that they would value a um, a buyer who had done these deals before, who they had confidence would be able to close this deal right so we pitched them on
1: ourselves and for us at this point doing a deal this size it's almost debatable whether we should should do it just from a time investment standpoint where it's crazy to think 10 years ago 4.85 million would have been one of my bigger deals Mm -hmm. i bought one that size and one for like five and a quarter million and those are my two biggest deals and now i look at it and go like this is like not worth the time right because it's a different different deal too i have overhead and um you know we we can raise more money we can go after bigger deals mm-hmm. uh but the yeah the returns are so compelling it's like yeah. let's let's get after it but for that seller he's looking at us going these guys are buying 30 million dollar deals mm-hmm. 15 million dollar deals just buy we're telling him like we're literally saying this would be easy to close to him like right. this is no problem this thing issue you're running into we would have known it's a problem we would not be using that loan product this mm-hmm. you have to go um, we'll get into the debt later, but we know what loan we gotta put on it to close it and get the financing we want. We already we already know how to do this, so it'd be easy.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that, you know, this might be a deal that we wouldn't even, you know, consider just based on um the size of it. But, you know, it it did check a lot of the other boxes, the vintage being, you know, nineteen eighty five. Um you know, the lost to lease that was, that was in place and, and the location, um, which is in, it's in North Papago, the North Papago neighborhood, which is, um, very close to Scottsdale to Tempe to Midtown and even downtown Phoenix. Everything is within a 15 minute drive. Um, so, you know, it's, it's right central East Phoenix, which is, you know, a pretty prime location. It's, it's not, Uh, it doesn't garner the rents that living in Scottsdale would, or, you know, near old town, but, you know, as the rents continue to rise there, people begin to look to more affordable areas that are still, you know, within range of pretty much everything. So we really liked the location, um, and, uh, you know, got into the numbers a little bit and it, you know, it looked even better.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. Returns were great. And I think the one thing we've noticed in Phoenix, and I'm sure it's present in a lot of other cities, actually the highest rent growth is in the areas that are more like price wise or like, you know, priced in the middle mm-hmm. where you have a lot of people pushing down from the uh, more expensive areas as those, they get priced out mm-hmm. into areas that are still nice, but haven't seen the same high rents, right. you know, same things happen in Chicago where Uh, You know, first it was Bucktown and Wicker Park and then Logan Square and uh, and then more on the north side along the lake, Andersonville, Uptown. I mean, where it's getting it's getting nicer. And all those neighborhoods I'm mentioning, uh, you know, similar thing where that and the deals I bought have had the highest rent growth in those deals, uh, not in the more established neighborhoods. Right. So so we like that. We already knew that. And so it's in a nice area that, you know, it's not I wouldn't even call it like up and coming. It's just not as. Expensive as Scottsdale or Arcadia or some of these places, right?
0: right. Like the the in place rents, even which were below market, are still well above. You know, some of the other deals that we've looked at for one bedroom units, uh, you know, in South Tempe and in certain areas of Mesa. Um, so you're right. I wouldn't call it, you know, an an up and coming area. It's it's already there compared to to a lot of the other neighborhoods um, and cities in the Phoenix MSA. Um, it's just, you know, slightly more affordable and you still have access to, you know, a lot of the same locational amenities as, you know, being right in the, you know, coveted Scottsdale areas or, um, some of these other higher priced, uh, neighborhoods. Right.
1: So then, you know, what we liked about the deal, I guess we'll get to the returns shortly, but really it was Uh, the returns what they were for the risk involved were Mm -hmm. great because that's another thing you got to look at where this deal we we bought after it was done being renovated right and so it was you know I think what the the current owner they had a price in mind on the rents if I could renovate and get to this uh, then my you know I'll be happy my his investors and everyone will be pleased with the deal Mm -hmm. and since you know so he delivers the product it's finished he starts renting out the units, but the market in Phoenix has gone up so much that whatever he had in his head, which might've been $1,200, because I think that's what they're all mostly rented for. Mm-hmm. By the time we look at it, I mean, market rents 1350 maybe 1400 on that.
0: Right. Yeah. And the level of renovation is something I want to touch on quickly. Um, very high quality renovation, uh, which is something that that we liked as well once we got the photos and um, you know, before we had, had gone to see it, but, you know, full backsplash in the kitchens, um, stainless steel appliances, nice, you know, vinyl flooring and new tile backsplash on the showers, new vanities, new quartz counters. You know, it, it when you go into the unit, it feels big, feels fresh, feels new. That's right. what it looked like in the photos before we had ever gone in. Um, but, you know, the outside had undergone a... You know exterior reno paint um certain aspects of the roof which we'll get into later um but you know there was there was some slight deferred maintenance which we're going to address but you know nothing major i mean the the renovation was done really well
1: yeah and i think let's this let's just get into that where i think on every deal when i first started i would go this is a new building it'd be like a deal like this one i don't mm-hmm. I don't need to spend any money. The renovation's done. That's how I would underwrite it to start. Mm-hmm. And then every deal you go there and they need to, you need to do something right. every time where, so now we would get sent a deal like this and without doing any additional like work on what needs to be done they so you haven't gone to it. Cause one thing that I'm big on and we do on every deal and uh, you know, I did the same thing when it was just me underwriting deals and looking at deals. I always underwrite the deal first before going and seeing it. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a total waste of time to go look at a deal if you didn't look at the numbers. Yeah, agreed. We, we paid $4.85 million for this. If we would have underwrote it and been like, this thing's not even worth $4 million, why go look at it? Right. So we're just where, especially once you've seen a few buildings and you kind of get the gist of what these things are like, there's not, you're not even learning anything going, I don't feel like. Mm-hmm. And to me, I like to underwrite it. And then you have sort of questions in your head after underwriting it where um like a big thing in these buildings that when we had bought them in chicago we we have assumptions for like there's internet at the building they're cleaning the hallways this much the trash should be this we have some numbers from them but usually a lot of the sellers numbers are like you know they're they're taking out any non-recurring expense they're trying to make the expenses as light as possible right so then once you underwrite the deal you have in your head like all right i need to go there i need to confirm like what, how many elevators they have? Because then that's going to dictate how much the elevators cost. Mm-hmm. What, what sort of, uh, what are the hallways like size wise? Because maybe I'm not underwriting enough for cleaning. You know, I'm not going to necessarily use the same setup that the current owner is using for hallway cleaning. I don't know what they're doing, so I need to evaluate the size of the hallways. But it's hard to do that once you haven't put any numbers down on paper. Yeah. Because then some of these, if you go, this building's just like the other one, you don't need to be worried about that. If you already can confirm ahead of time, like there's just only cable going to the bill, or only internet, sorry, only internet going to the building. There's no phone line, there's no anything else. Then you can just grab that and then it's in your model. Then when you go, if you realize, okay, there's internet and two phone lines, now you're just thinking, all right, I need to add phone lines to my expenses or make adjustments. So I really, I'm huge on that, especially on these uh, deals on the expense side for operating expenses, because then you can go through and sort of see what, what's there.
0: Yeah. And you know, you hear of certain groups or certain people in the industry and different investors saying that, you know, I don't underwrite deals and, you know, I know the market extremely well already. I don't need to underwrite it. I know a good deal when I see it. Um, And I'd argue, and I think this is the approach that, you know, our entire group uh, uses to, to approach deals is that, you know, in doing the underwriting, makes you think critically For about sure. the different aspects of the deal. Um, so that's, you know, and then you get to those points that, that you're saying, like when you're plugging in those numbers, it makes you think about, oh, you know, we have these different contract services that are going to be recurring. What are the costs of those? And what's, you know, the, the annual cost that, that, that it will, um, you know, that the building will incur. Exactly, um, and then to get to the deferred maintenance, you know, that's exactly the exercise we went through. I think we, you know, just plugged it in initially at a, at a value of you know fifty thousand dollars in deferred maintenance, which is something we do on all of our deals. There's always something, as you mentioned. So uh, just
1: to jump in, it's relative to the size. Yeah. So then, to me, what would be a five million dollar deal in my head? Yeah, fifty thousand. You're gonna be able to. And there's just always some stuff to do. But if you're buying a twenty million dollar deal, fifty fifty thousand is not enough. But yeah, it's relative yeah. to the size. But yeah, could continue just uh to-
0: Yeah. Um so that you know, that's pretty much that in you know what I think about underwriting the deals. I think it's pretty valuable and and a good way to um, you know, kinda have your mind grasp the different concepts and what's gonna be happening at the property um and yeah and i think about. for
1: the those the sort of more emotional buyers that you're talking about that that works fine if you have your own money and a longer hold period you mm-hmm. know it's it's a pretty difficult to not make any money if you're just going to buy a building and have it for 10 years right but if you're going to send deals to investors and explain to them what the returns might be uh from your projections like you can't you you need to have underwriting. Yeah, you, they're they're all expecting that, and then you would need to be able to articulate your your business plan and what's going to happen every year. Um, but so that's that's definitely right what you're saying. Mm. And then the folks that are buying just on you know whatever um, price per foot, price per unit, whatever their metric is, you know that um, it's interesting too. You see them usually they end up buying the same type of building. Right. There's a lot of people in Chicago that it seems like they that buy per unit they all they're they're just buying the same type of stuff that's like what they have now and it's like from a vintage standpoint like age and condition Mm -hmm. and then it's interesting their whole portfolios is kind of the same so in a way they sort of know like okay if i pay this much per unit i'll make as much as the other one yeah you know but then that's not uh so then that that could work for you if you're just like an individual buyer with your own money yeah but yeah it would be tough to be starting out doing that definitely you know if you're Um, I think back in the old days before people were underwriting on Excel and stuff like that, there were probably more deals to be had that way, Mm -hmm. you know, things you, you know, things that weren't marketed well, but now this real estate's gotten a lot more efficient. Right. You really need to have your numbers dialed in. And then on the CapEx stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, so we put 50,000 in our model and then you go there and I went up on the roof and. The roof, they didn't, they didn't do anything to it in the in the renovation. So it needs. Mm -hmm. In Phoenix, it's the these roofs are flat roofs, and they have this elastomeric paint on it, and it's not that cheap to repaint the roof. Like in Chicago, you're putting down a much cheaper, just uh, like a gray roof paint of some type, and like that's far less. Expensive than mm-hmm. what's in Phoenix, so we went there, and so we saw that it needed a coat of paint and to be cleaned off uh, as well because a lot of debris on the roof, trees cut back mm-hmm. uh, that were overhanging the building. That's how it was getting on the roof, and then some spots where the roof material had just it was like breaking out from moisture right around the AC condensers. So then you know, right there, you go on the roof and you go, okay, here's ten, fifteen thousand dollars of just more like maintenance. Like so we yeah. need to really do this, get this dialed in right. So then if we're going to own this thing for like three or five years, they're not going to experience any problems and it'll still look fresh for the next buyer. Mm-hmm. Or right before we sell, we can go put another coat of paint on it, on the on the roof potentially, but then all the repairs and it's been like maintained since. Right. And then as well, we go and then really the only thing they didn't sort of finish when you look at it, it's been painted. Everything that looks, looks new and fresh outside and inside, but then the parking lot wasn't touched. Yeah so parking lot it's blacktop parking lot the the parking stall stripe lines those are all faded and this the the parking lot needs a refresh
0: yeah alligator cracking throughout and um i think once the parking lot gets a refresh it'll just kind of make it pop a lot more and make it look even nicer with the you know the white paint and um the new doors new blue doors and w- and windows um so yeah
1: for sure. And even that's sort of just that's a maintenance thing too, where if mm-hmm. we do nothing, like eventually that if that alligator continues, like it's the parking lot we will need to remove all the blacktop, you know, or mill it down and put a whole nother like redo the parking lot. So you can you could spend maybe fifteen thousand now mm-hmm. or less to put another, you know, one inch, let's say, layer of blacktop on that, or you right. could You know, you don't do anything. The next buyer is going to look at that and go, I need to spend Mm -hmm. 60 grand doing an entirely new parking lot. Yeah. And, and the thing is to me, if I'm a renter there, I just, I just uh, saw this thing online looks brand new and then it pull up on this old parking lot. This doesn't seem all the way done. Mm. So I, so that's going to cost you, you know, on the rent too, I think. Yeah. So that to us was just like a, you have to do it, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I'll note is, you know, you mentioned the next buyer and um, you know, we initially engaged on this deal and and put it under contract um, without, you know, having done the building inspection yet. We did that later. Um, But to just kind of get to our um, philosophy on, you know, those types of items, you know something that you've stressed to us is that you know you don't think it's worth it to retrade after the inspection you know based on having to redo the roof or you know needing to pave the parking lot it's it's more important to you know be easy to work with and and keep those relationships strong cuz you know you never know if um this investor who currently owns the building is going to be selling something else and um you know, he'd value working with, you know, somebody who's easy to work with and, you know, you can't go into buying a nineteen eighty five building and not expect for there to be, right. you know, some issues. Right.
1: Uh, and where where we would ask for a retrade, let's say, is if if let's say we asked about the roof and he told us it's brand new. Right. So then we would have changed our number from fifty thousand to maybe less going or if we asked him what is there to do What's the roof like? What's the parking lot? And you would say, it's all brand new, everything. You don't need to spend a penny. Mm-hmm. Then we would, you know, we would drop our 50 grand to 10 grand probably. Mm-hmm. And then we go there and then we would, because we were told that now right. we go, oh, this is new cost that doesn't line up with what you told us. Mm-hmm. We have asked for price adjustments then or yeah. credits where, cause there's, there was a deal I bought where we were told on the ground, brand new roof. We went up there. It's like 20 years old. Yeah. I don't know what, and they... And they lived at the building, so I don't know what uh I don't know how they could have not known that, but whatever. <laughs> Let's so for that I got a roof credit. Yeah. Because it was different than what we were told. Yeah. It's but like- to your point, we're explained to them, we're experienced buyers, mm-hmm. we know what we're doing. You can't roll up there and be like, Oh, we need to paint the roof, I need five grand. Yeah. Do you look like amateurs? Right. And people have done that when I've uh I've sold and they do look like an amateur to me. So I think that that's big because one thing, uh, just to clarify that, where it's on those small items Mm -hmm. where if it's, you know, anything where, I mean, I could think of more than one deal actually where we got a roof credit where we were told the roof's great or new and then it wasn't. Um, But in general, if we're only doing any adjustments, if it doesn't line up. Like if you told us on another deal, we were told um, no rent concessions, Mm -hmm. not a single one. And there was every unit had a month free on it okay well now our spreadsheet doesn't match what we're buying anymore because when we were out front you said not not a single concession yeah if you would have not said anything at that time this was in chicago we would have probably underwrote a half month free on everybody Mm -hmm. on that type of deal and and then there would have been a different conversation Mm -hmm. so it's only when things don't line up otherwise yeah i don't i've never asked for these like small things yeah um and then that helps where all the brokers and sellers they want a smooth deal um, you know, and having been a seller myself, I realized like, just cause you sign up a deal at the, what might be the highest price doesn't mean you're going to close at that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, on a, on a deal that I sold last year. I mean, I probably got asked for like, no exaggeration, 15 things throughout just a different adjustments. Yeah. It's and frustrating. You know, it's normal to ask for some things. It's yeah. not like we don't ask for anything, but, um, maybe we're asking for like a couple things, yeah. not, and a lot of them aren't even like money related it could just be a little more time or yeah. something or yeah
0: and i think if it is money related it's best to do it all at once once you have all the information yeah um, versus, how'd, how'd you learn that <laughs> you know uh heard it, heard it from somewhere yeah, I, don't, just I don't remember where um but yeah i mean you know that's that's another thing that that you've taught me since since being here so um yeah that's
1: it's always also too that's a good point it's always much better received if let's, let's say this deal, we didn't have any price adjustment uh, during due diligence. And then also um, we haven't had any recent where we've done that. But if you do, what's best is you complete all your due diligence. So to your point, I'll just elaborate on it. Mm-hmm. You complete everything. So then let's just pretend if we needed a $50,000 worth credit on this deal, we would go to them and go, we've done everything. We've read every lease. We have read every contract. We did our physical. We put our camera down the sewer. We, we're done with everything. Phase one is in surveys going. Like we're we're done. All we need is the money for the roof that we were told was new mm-hmm. and it's not. And then that is much better for the seller to hear because then the, all they then they are doing. I give the fifty thousand or whatever the credit is, That's and nice. and now no 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 I'm saying if you ask it our way yeah okay. and then you go all right then it's done and we move on we're closing right you ask piecemeal you really wear them out yeah maybe they say yes on the first one then you yes ask for something else it's just like too much mm-hmm. and then they are um you know then they just turned into a no machine yeah so and then too that's just a bad way to deliver all the stuff just piece by piece yeah Agreed. so a lot of times i'll you know update maybe the broker like hey we found this mm-hmm. but we're not done their due diligence so I just want to let you know we don't have like an ask right now but we like realized like the leases don't add up to the rents we were told. Or right. Whatever the problem is, I've done that before, just to have it on their radar. Yeah. Like this, so if when in two weeks when we have so completed everything, but the, you told us the rents were fifty thousand a month and they're forty nine thousand a month, like mm-hmm. what do you want to do? Yeah, uh, like that's not a total surprise. Yeah, they've known about sense. it. They've known about it for two weeks, and in a way, it's almost like good news. We haven't found any other issues. So it's just that, and then. um, Okay, nice. But yeah, so for the actual deal, I mean, what's simple with this, uh, buying uh, Desert Palms, is the name of the property, and buying this was really, you take the $1,200, and, 1200, and we got it in our notes here, $1,228 yeah, a unit 12, on average, and you turn that into a $1,400 u- unit, Sam, what does that do for the value or for the property?
0: Yeah, so, you know, assuming a 4% cap rate, which, you know, the in-place cap at us buying it today based on the in-place rents is about a 3.1. So, you know, assuming a four cap based on the market rents today, that would value the property at around, I think, what, $6.25 million, um, which is roughly a 29% increase to our purchase price, which is pretty good, Right. you know, Um, when you think about it. And, um, I think that the stabilized cap that, that we were stabilizing to in year three or no, it's the market rents over the, the current all in cost was over 5%. So when you look at the Phoenix market and sorry, I cut you off, but, um, you know, and, and things are selling at a three, one right now or, um, you know, maybe a four after you capture all the lost to lease, which we hope to do. But the market's been moving so quickly; people renew leases, and you know, you don't necessarily want to drive everybody out by you know raising the rent um, exponentially right. on them. So there could be lost to lease by the time we sell it. And hopefully, we're we're hitting our projections. I think we underwrote, you know, five percent rent growth a year, which um, based on our in-house models, I think the prediction for the next year was, um, 7% on our single variable model and 9% on our multivariant model. Um, and over the next three years, I think it was, um, you know, seven, nine and five, you know, some, I have it written down here somewhere, but it was, yeah. it was over 5% yeah um,
1: and then i yeah i have the notes in my computer where this is yeah it is seven and nine on the two models and then the um and even that just lines up with the historical numbers too i mean phoenix you know last 10 years been like eight percent rent growth so yeah it's just that's just that's just what it is and we underwrote five you know because that just already feels like a lot and the deal worked mm-hmm. um typically we're underwriting five percent rent growth um but yeah to your point i mean a lot of deals in phoenix if it you know there's no deals that have no lost at least because the rents have gone up so much mm-hmm. they've gone up the last couple of years 20 percent plus a year so if you sign a lease in i don't know may 2021 and now you're going to put the unit on the market today well the rents have gone up you know for 10 months now at an annualized number of 20 percent your your deal has uh, on that unit you're you know 15 to 18 percent below market now right so it's hard to say what's a stabilized cap rate but let's just say if all the rents were at market this would sell at a three and a half cap is kind of how it feels to me maybe a 375 3.75 cap rate and then so what, what are we doing we're trying to find deals where we can in year you know year one or when our business plan's done if it takes longer like with the renovation stabilize where you're at a much higher You know, yield on cost is a term. Mm -hmm. So just your your new NOI once you're stabilized divided by your all-in basis. So price plus renovation if there is any. Right. And on this one, we're in at a 5.1 yield on cost, which another way to say that would be like your end of year one cap rate is Mm 5.1. And so then in the market where things are selling in the threes, so then that makes a lot of sense. Interest rates can change, cap rates can go up. You're still you're still making a great return because you're more or less we if we hit our numbers it's like we bought this at a 5.1 cap right without having to do any renovation or any any risky work
0: yeah so the risk adjusted return return was was there right Uh.
1: and so then because what i keep saying is let's say so now we stabilize at a 5.1 cap on this deal that's a higher cap rate than if you just bought a fully marketed deal in like wisconsin or Mm -hmm. minnesota or places that aren't growing nearly as fast Uh, so then to me it's like where would you rather be starting in year two city of phoenix or you know somewhere in wisconsin or ohio just pick your place where it's still like a high four cap right so that to me uh is yeah super compelling and that's why a big reason why we're in phoenix because we're capturing deals like this where we can stabilize them far in excess of where today's cap rate is and then we assume we sell it at a higher cap rate to be conservative Mm -hmm. so then on our numbers we're selling this at like a I think in our model like a four point three five cap or yeah, four three. Okay. Yeah. And so then in today we're in cap rates are in the three. So we trended up our cap rate a ton, but mm-hmm. the deal, the returns were already so strong it, you know, it was just doing that to be careful.
0: Yeah. It's a it's a three year hold. Um, so we did trend up the cap rate um considerably from, you know, at least where we're buying it and where we would expect um, somebody else to buy it after us, you know, when it's completely leased out. We've hopefully captured, you know, a lot of the loss to lease um, and they're buying, you know, a stabilized completely renovated building. Um, So we underwrote to a three year hold and something I wanted to touch on that came to mind as you were um, talking about, you know, the, the rent growth numbers was that if we were holding this longer than three years, um, that those rent growth numbers that we underwrite, it wouldn't stay at five. It's a lot easier to predict, you know, the short term and, you know, based on our models, but we would pretty much certainly, you know, bring that back down to, to a normalized, you know, 3% growth into perpetuity. If, if we were underwriting a, a longer, longer term hold.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. And what's interesting is, which that's sort of just more of like an industry norm, eventually underwriting to 3% rent growth, but. Right. That's almost there's hasn't happened in Phoenix in mm-hmm. like uh in so long, and I think the average, you know, since we've got uh don't have of me, but it's like eight percent a year. So then yeah. just in and with apartment values going up an average of ten percent a year, right? So then that is you know that just that's uh super conservative when we get in those later years. Mm-hmm. But this we we underwrote
0: as a three year hold. Yeah, I think the last what was it? The last ten years was. Yeah, eight percent. Yeah, that's what you
1: said. Yeah, and I think then and so what we have for returns on this deal, and this is did we this is what we sent out to the investors or we we had No, this is, we is had,
0: not initially we, we sent out um something slightly lower than this. Um you know, we initially underwrote uh, lower rents. I think it was thirteen fifty for, yeah, for the one right. beds. Yeah. And and so we we showed lower returns and the deal still looked uh, you know, still looked great. So it's it's better to under promise and, and over deliver. Um, but you know, once we figured out that you know we could push fourteen hundred here, and um, you know, while we were under contract, we even got a few applications at that fourteen hundred dollar rent, which um, is proof of concept, right yeah. there. You know, we're thinking we could even push these higher. You know, yeah, right.
1: Um, we're getting our we're year two rents or beyond and while we're under contract. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty
0: promising. The deal already looked great. We want to, we wanted to get this closed obviously, um, and and as quickly as possible, but, um, to touch back on the numbers and and the returns, you know, exiting at that four, three cap on our, um, you know, adjusted underwritten numbers, uh, for, for the higher returns, the residual value was around $7 million. And that would equate to three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars a unit, and four ninety-four a foot. So under under five hundred dollars a foot. Um, for for context, you know, um, we're starting to see deals trade now in the upper two hundreds in similar areas uh, already. You know, you have to take into account that this is one beds, but they are large one bed, 700 square foot, s- square feet, sorry. Um, so, you know, and we, and we also saw a comp recently trade um, by the property it was all studios. Um, so super small square footage on the units um, that went for over $500 a foot. Um, and it was an older property no in unit washer dryer. Was it in, renovated? In the studio units. Yeah, it was, it was, it had a little okay. renovation, but they're all studios. So, you know, it's not an expansive kitchen in there. And there was no in unit washer dryer. Yeah. So, uh, but if
1: it's studios, I'll, I'll say I would think I would expect that to be high per foot. Yeah. To definitely. The studio. So then that doesn't, uh, you know, that the, doesn't.
0: The per unit pricing was still greater than what we were acquiring. Okay, nice. At. Yeah,
1: that tells me a lot. Yeah, the per foot on studios, it's always like the highest. Yeah, and that's no. Where... It was it was like nice. two
0: fifty a unit plus. Okay, nice. Um, yeah. So I didn't ruin your point. All yeah, the way, no, no, part no, way. no. Okay,
1: nice. Uh, yeah, I opened our original LP memo. So yeah, we sent out uh, net investor returns on the thirteen fifty rents of a IRR of nineteen point three and a one point six seven equity multiple. What we've realized, you know, this is most LPs are targeting the 15 net IRR, mm-hmm. if that's your metric. So, right, we look at this and we go, we're already pushing out a 19. Then we get into due diligence. Things are improving. Now on our new $1,400 rents, we're pushing to a 21 or 22 IRR. Mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't think we, I don't recall updating everybody. Where, I
0: think we sent out a note, but not an updated memo right?
1: Yeah, where... I don't I don't recall where we weren't like projecting hey it's going to do even better. Right. It was just unnecessary where by then we already had raised all the money mm-hmm. and we were already projecting 4% higher than what most folks are looking for. Right. So it didn't wasn't uh I don't I don't recall doing that and I'd recommend other sponsors or people raising money kind of take a similar approach where um kind of figure out what everybody's looking for and then You know underwrite conservatively and if you have good news you can inform people but then we don't need to re-update everyone say hey 22 percent is a new number and then you deliver a 21 and people are like you like you missed right but originally we said 19 you know Mm -hmm. so i'd rather um i'd rather you know give the update i think where hey they got apps at 1400 so we're gonna kill it on this but i would not send around new numbers yeah you already like the deal as it is yeah definitely and you know part of the reason you invest with us is we underwrite reasonably and conservatively so then like this is not a surprise then when mm-hmm. they hear this potentially what um i think one thing then to touch on that's important is the debt next because for me if i hear the returns on a deal i don't know what the leverage point is it's not telling me anything yeah personally because if if those returns were with you know uh you know 50 percent leverage yeah. this would be the Maybe the best I've ever heard of in my entire life, yeah. you know. But this is we, we um. Or you want to you want to do it, or should I?
0: Okay. Um. I mean, I can get into it. So, um. You know, given given the deal profile, um. Five, roughly five million dollars. Um. You know, we knew that we would want to, you know, lever up on this deal. Um. And go probably hit seventy five percent LTV. So, you know, that would equate to roughly three and a half million dollar loan. Um, so we knew that bank financing was, um, the best route to go, most competitive. Um, and that's, uh, you know, where you go under $10 million I'd say is that. Yeah. I think
1: right? it depends what you're, what you're talking about. Cause obviously banks can go, uh, to any amount depending on the bank size I mean these banks do have legal lending limits but any bank can go over 10 million yeah but your your point I'll elaborate on because I do know what you mean it's if you want a non-recourse uh loan on a a a property you can go to Fannie or Freddie and Mm -hmm. then they start at like a million dollars yeah but and then if and we're talking if you want to be let's say 70 percent plus LTV Mm -hmm. I'm talking about right now so you can go to Fannie or Freddie the, the issue is they are sizing on, just like we already touched on with the previous buyer, just in place cash flow, So it doesn't work for this deal. Next option, if it's over $10 million and you wanna be non-recourse is you can go to a debt fund. There are these funds where they raise money and they don't buy properties, they lend on properties. And most of them are sizing to a stabilized NOI. So they'll go, okay, you're buying this today. And when you're done with your plan in year two, your NOI will be this number and we want to be at a uh like maybe like a 130 debt cover, a seven debt yield. The debt yield is just your uh, NOI divided by loan amount. Mm-hmm. Um, because then if you're at seven, then you go, okay, rates raise, but I still have all this like space. If rates go to five and the properties yielding seven on the debt amount, like we'll be say if they can refi yeah. and uh make their mortgage payments and the loan will size out. Uh so to your point, we look at this, it's a five million dollar deal and then mm-hmm. we are too it's too small for debt funds and then um and also even if a debt fund would go below 10 it's so these loans are not cheap to close yeah i mean we're working on one now and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this thing closed yeah but it's a 23 million dollar loan um but it's it's gonna be um and not like when i say hundreds of thousands not like two hundred thousand. like this would yeah.
0: be yeah the closing costs yeah. on on this deal specifically we're not Right. Terrible. And though. that's
1: and that's what you get with a bank. It's yeah. gonna be uh it's gonna be less expensive and then uh to close. And and then uh the downside, if you will, is that it's it's typically recourse lending. Yeah. So meaning like someone needs to provide a personal guarantee on the loan. Different banks do things differently. Some banks they'll do a limited guarantee. So let's say uh you can do a 25% guarantee. So if the loan amounts Three point five million dollars. You are guaranteed twenty five percent of that three point five personally. Most banks don't do that. Most just want one hundred percent, and that's what we have here with our lender. Yeah. And so we, um, we used a bank called Bridgewater. Right. They're out of Minnesota. I've closed with them before. Um, they're they're great for flexibility and just really really great. Can't say enough about them. And. If you're looking for bank financing, you got to start out, I think, in Minnesota as a client. So depending on where you're listening to this, it might not work. But I started out there and did two loans with them on Minnesota properties. And now they'll follow me anywhere. Yeah. That's how that were, works.
0: Were those on, was that multifamily Shop, property or shopping, shopping centers. centers? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. We we had a deal actually where we were under contract on our sixth deal. Um, so would be a good story for another day, actually, yeah. where we're buying a shopping center. We've done five loans with one bank mm-hmm. on the previous five deals. And we get the 6 contract. They go in for, like, approval on the loan, this bank we've done all the loans with. Yeah. And they they go, you hit the legal lending limit. So banks, they have a limit based on their size, how much they can lend one party. Hmm. So then whatever that limit was for that bank at that time, I think it was, like, $25 million. They're like, we've already lent it to you. We can't make more loans to you. Hmm. So, you know. And
0: then, and, and then you found Bridgewater? Yeah, because
1: <laughs> where I worked... Um, I had worked at Dominium in Minnesota, yeah. a multifamily developer, and they they had done uh, loans with Bridgewater and had talked about their flexibility and creativity. So I called the CEO of the bank, this Jerry Bach, and was like, hey, I'm in this. We never talked before. I used to work at Dominium. I know you're doing, you're like a great lender. They talk so highly of you. I'm in a deal right now. We have like 30, 40 days to close, and I like just got told like I can't. Mm-hmm. proceed with the bank I'm doing. Can you, How fast can you guys do something? And he was just like, send me the numbers. I don't think the timing will be a problem. And they closed it on time. Nice. Yeah. So then we, uh, so I said two loans, because then we like later, later refi that deal. Yeah. Like we bought that shopping center for 2.95 million. Redid every lease. Some tenants left. Some we popped in new ones. It's worth like over $5 million now. Yeah. So, but it's the same play as this building, more or less rents are below market. Right. when the lease come for renewal you get increases or they go and then they just move into new business that can pay the higher rent mm-hmm. but they were paying yeah twenty dollars a foot in like a thirty dollar foot market yeah. so and then Panera they spent like eight hundred thousand of their own money putting in a drive through so they're never going anywhere so that's it's quality. good that's, yeah that's
0: value add right there yeah
1: I know and then over time we improved the tenants so we went from yeah. a liquor store on one end to a uh, Opti- to shopco optical now' mm-hmm. is, uh there's so like a medical user and then a chiropractor nice. so it's we've improved Sticky the, tenants yeah and quality just everything so yeah. then that's going to drop the cap rate too um so yeah we'll have us so we'll get into some commercial property <laughs> podcast soon because uh but yeah that so yeah so then bank financing you um that's going to be your best play on a not a fully stabilized deal under 10 million dollars if you're willing to sign recourse right if you're, if you're not willing to sign recourse, there are other lenders out there, but you'd have to be at a lower LTV. Mm -hmm. And we like this at 75% LTV. Also like that, if that feels like a high leverage point, let's say to to you watching or listening, well, how we're looking at that also is we're about to take this thing from 5 million to 7 million of value. Maybe that doesn't, you know, if you think that pans out that we're going to be at like a 60% LTV in a 18 months yeah so that's the other way we're looking at it. like I don't I I see a lot of people where they go they want to be at 60 percent LTV so they start at 60 then they create the value and then 18 months in they're spending you know two three percent of the loan amount Mm -hmm. doing a refi and that's money for us we're just going to have in our in our pocket so to speak we don't need to spend any more money this is a five-year fixed loan three and a half percent rate 12 months interest only Mm -hmm. we're just going to ride this loan till we sell assuming we sell it either in our three to five year hold window. Uh, and we don't need to spend any more money on, on dealing with the debt. So I actually like that if you're okay with it, you know, stepping up a little bit more in leverage going in to save money refinancing later. Yeah. That I think that a makes big, sense. Big takeaway.
0: Yeah. And then, so to get more into this particular loan, um, five year term, three and a half percent fixed rate. Um, 75% LTV. And we had 12 months interest only, which, you know, at that, at that point we're turning a few leases already, you know, we're hitting our rents and and we're in a good spot. Um, so, so that was, um, you know, we jumped on that as soon as they gave us that quote.
1: Yeah. So. And we, well, and one thing I'll say, we, we did negotiate on the prepay actually, mm-hmm. originally I think we got quoted like a, what we'll call like a soft step down, maybe like, Four percent year one or something, then three, yeah. then two, then one, then one, mm-hmm. and they were willing to do a, th- and this was just negotiating this this prepay structure that I really liked from these Freddie SBL loans. Three yeah. percent year one, one percent prepay year two, and then it's zero thereafter. Yeah, already know the dead guys say when they want mm-hmm. to get fancy, prepayable at par. Right. And they so but zero percent prepay, and open up at par. Yeah. <laughs> the zero uh, percent prepay so what's great for us is we are just paying three and a half percent a year mm-hmm. a lot of these loans you'll see they'll they'll do a loan for three and a half percent let's say but then they sell it in year three and they have a three percent prepay just this isn't exact math but that's almost like you paid an extra percent a year yeah if you pay three percent at the end right it's not exactly one percent because you obviously paid your loan down a little but so you could almost look at that and go like, I'm actually paying four and a half if I have this three percent prepay on the way mm-hmm. up. So if you, so really try to match up your prepay with your business plan. That's a really important lesson. We've already said it on a few episodes. I'm, sure, yeah. I already know, but like that's huge. And we're really doing it because we have no prepay in the time we think we're going to sell. Right. So we're so, really doing what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And reasonable origination fee. It's you know less than a 0.75. Point, point yep. seven five. Yep. Um, nothing going out. So, um, it's good, good, good product for, for our business plan, as you said.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Download our hundred plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvestcom slash downloads. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. So we have our $3.5 million loan, and then we're buying a $5 million property. So that leaves a million and a half dollars of equity to raise. So what we did was we raised that in a 90-10 structure. And that just, the 90 is the percentage that the individual investors we have put in, and the 10% is how much we're contributing to the mm-hmm. deal. Market, I'd say for these deals is either you know, 90-10 or 95-5, but there's some sort of uh, general partner contribution being made is normal. And then our, uh, our waterfall structures are incentive fee, you know, which is a promote after a preferred return and return of capital. Uh, we've looked at a ton of deals and, you know, know what like market is for fees. And this is what we're, we're doing on the waterfall, like for, especially for multifamily properties and, uh, properties that are marketed, let's say to individual investors, like this is the most common waterfall. what What I'll say, and then also what we're doing. Um, but doesn't necessarily, you know, you can do what works with your investors. You know, I've done a lot of other structures. I mean, on some I've just split 80-20 just straight up because that's mm-hmm. not something we want to we wanna hold it long term. Right. And then if you have a preferred return, there's like a, you know, it's just like a clock ticking, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, you know, either uh, diluting the returns or, you know, making the sponsor wait to get any money. So you got to match up the waterfall, just kind of like your debt, uh, you know, or the, let's say the incentive fee, you know, to the actual business plan. But what we have on on this deal, we have a eight percent preferred return paid to the investors, and that's cumulative and compounding. So if it isn't paid fully eight percent in one year, that's you know tacked on to a balance that needs to be paid, and also that's building interest. That's what, that's what right. cumulative and compounding means. So the eight percent's building at you know an additional eight percent a year, and then after the full preferred return is paid, then investors get the return of capital in full, and then after that's happened then we start splitting 70 30 on all on all profits all distributions and then once the deal has made a once the investors have made a 12 then we start splitting 50 50 so from there and so what the returns we had said before where it's uh it was a 19 percent return to the mm-hmm. lp that's after these splits so the deal makes more than that um, this is just after all that what the right what this the lps are going to see so any anything on the equity you want to touch on one thing we skipped was kind of going through due diligence we talked about the physical but not other like lease audit and stuff i mean what where do you
0: um i could touch on the lease audit i will say um you know when we went out to raise the money we were fully subscribed within i think two days of sending it out yeah good yeah Um, good point
1: i know when we started originally we were thinking um you know maybe this there was like uh one LP that might mm-hmm. go into the deal and do the whole thing and then that we ended up just opening up to everybody um where that that's what we're going to do going forward but it was just sort of this was the one of the first ones we've just kind of passed the hat so to speak yeah so yeah it's a good point we went into this kind of not knowing what to expect the most and then having we were yeah oversubscribed and having to explain to the people that like the last i think we had I think the number is like about 10 people maybe in this deal. And then what do you yeah. I make mean, could pull it up? But a then
0: less. Maybe, yeah. Nine or nine or 10. But probably. the
1: last four came in at the same time and then we're oversubscribed. Yeah. And now it's crazy to think then we're explaining to the last four. Like I know you wanted to put in 200,000, but there's only room for a hundred or 150 right. or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that, um, yeah, good point. Cause that was, that was a surprise to me where, especially at the same, you know, uh, the same time i knew we were coming out with another deal which we can touch on in a later episode and that one was oversubscribed too yeah so it's good but you know sp- speaks to just sort of the strength of the deals and just kind of the investment landscape today too where yeah. not a lot of places you can get this kind of return especially given like this deal in particular the risk profile yeah you're buying a finished building and just raising rents to market right so due diligence what, yeah. what so, else do we do
0: um touching on you know we we always conduct a lease audit um, you know, whenever we're evaluating, um, a potential investment. Uh, so when we're in due diligence, this means that we match up the rent roll that we received from the seller to the actual leases. Um, and that's, you know, comparing base rent, whatever other income, whether that be rubs or pet rent that they're, um, receiving the security deposits on file and, I realized as I was going through on this deal that there were a number of additional admin fees um, that the current property management company uh, was charging. They were part of the lease, but they were keeping them as part of their compensation. So, you know, when when we're about to take control and these leases are in place, um, we told our property management company to continue charging. Um, whatever was in the lease and instead of it going to the, our property management company, we have a, you know, separate compensation structure lined up with them. Um, It would come to the owner instead. So, and that equated to, you know, 75 bucks a month in in rent, so.
1: Right, so the way to also think of it, if that was like at all hard to follow is just really, all you need to know is when we were told the rent was maybe 12, 26 on average that really turned into 1301 on average yeah so right there we're already we we're, were starting with a lower rent number than we thought because when we a lot of times you see these fees and then they go to like an offsetting cost mm-hmm. like if there is a utility reimbursement which is a common one usually there's just a offsetting utility cost right you know there's not it's not just pure revenue yeah uh, so no so expense. these
0: additional fees were net of uh, you know, your typical other income items. Right. So the pet rent and rubs that we initially underwrote, this is separate.
1: Right. So then, right. So all of a sudden poof, every unit is $75 more than we right. originally thought. And then we get going, as we mentioned, and they get apps upset, you know, the rents higher than we had proposed. So we're, we're just, yeah, higher everywhere, uh, income wise. And then we already touched on the physical inspection, I think enough. hmm. what, what else we do during due diligence
0: um during due diligence you know we touched on the physical inspection we get the survey environmental done um lease audit what else pull public records um so search for permits and certificates of occupancy any anything you know legal issues outstanding with the property um am i missing anything yeah
1: i mean we have like a whole 30 item checklist basically so let's we we, i think that's plenty like we went through our usual checklist or whatever was applicable checked everything and really sort of the high points on this deal are just we found more income than we thought Mm -hmm. and then we um we had things to do after the physical inspection but it wasn't really any different than what we anticipated right so yeah we we did do plenty of other stuff like pulling records and uh phase one and environmental and zoning survey and right. just all sorts of stuff, but we plenty, you know, I think that's plenty on that where those were the high points. And I mean, at some point, I mean, I could shoot a whole episode on due diligence and probably, probably should, or this, we have a, but there, there's plenty to do, but we, you know, thankfully put together a checklist. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. easy. We just give it to the broker, collect the info, and then you just review it.
0: Yeah. And you you know, now moving on to, to property management. I mean, You know, if we were doing a renovation here, I'd have a lot more to to expand on this topic. But pretty much um, what it entailed was just, you know, informing the property management company um, that we were going to purchase this property and just making sure they're informed throughout the process when we're going to take control. Um, And then, you know, after we close, we, you know, pass them the keys and work to you know, give the tenant notices. Um,
1: Yeah. So we, yeah, we are using a third party property manager mm -hmm. down in Phoenix. They manage like 10,000 units and have a really good handle on everything and good vendor relationships. And I really been really happy with them. And so that's just another deal we added with them. And then what about getting this thing close? What what else?
0: Yeah. So closing was interesting. You know, we we finished all of our due diligence and, you know, there's a, a period of time when we're working on the loan docs and, and finalizing, you know, every aspect of the deal, our insurance, the loan. Um, and we were closing this deal actually on back to back days with another property that we were buying. Um, and I was running kind of that, um, closing process for, for both of the deals and we were working with the same bank for both deals. Um, so it was, a little bit of a a mess at first it was you know emails were crossing chains because you know they would email about one deal but add something else about you know a question about the next deal and then um so it was difficult to keep track of and that's you know one thing i learned from the process was just keep it all organized and and know where everything is Um, but you know we have an internal checklist that you've created over the last fifteen years of doing deals, um, and uh, we have the lender checklist that they provide. So, in following those, it made it a lot easier, and that's you know kind of a testament to the systems that we have in place here. And
1: yeah, to jump in, I mean, I think right, it's important to know as the buyer, yeah. and I always think this even as the seller. It's your job to be pushing everything along. Yeah. Most of the people you're using for different things, whether it's a survey, even no matter how good your attorney is, like not everyone is pushing the deal along They're, uh And this is most common also with the settlement statement when this, that's going around mm-hmm. or you're actually on the day of closing. Cause these closings aren't in person anymore. They're just done remotely on the computer. You sign some stuff and you yeah. email it in. It's pretty often where, You'll ask like the title company, like the closer, what, what are you waiting for? And then it's something let's just pretend from like the seller's attorney just to make up a, I guess, got to blame somebody. And then you check through your attorney on your own, like what's going on. And like, they didn't know that was, that was the open item. We were thought we were waiting on you for sending the money or something. Right. You know, so then that's really, um, really like a common thing you need to know as a buyer. Like it's your job to be pushing everything along Mm -hmm. and that's not intuitive necessarily you would think that like the surveyor would have their updates done always on time and early but he doesn't know your closing deadline necessarily or she and so you got to be really pushing everything along and like the quarterback of everything
0: yeah yeah which is you know what it felt like and um that's ultimately kind of how it worked out um so just to touch on the settlement statement you know there's that extra process before we receive the settlement statement where we want to make sure that the numbers on it are correct. So we're running through the rents that we have, um, the security deposits, the real estate taxes, making sure everything's prorated correctly on there. And our attorney does a really good job of checking these numbers as well. So he makes it easy because um, you can you know, cross check with each other, make sure everything's yeah. good on that front. So you more or
1: less like a, you will buy a property. There's a settlement statement showing yeah. what money you're sending in, what money's going where we, we get, you know, let's say a week ahead of closing. We'll make our own settlement statement descending in, uh, in Excel. Our attorney at some point makes one as well. We're, kind of checking with each other, getting mm-hmm. our numbers right. Yeah. So then mm-hmm. when that settlement statement comes out, because some title companies, they don't send it till the day of closing. Yeah. And I don't really want to be checking five million dollars of money being transferred just in a big rush. Yeah. Where I want to have we get every number checked and calculated on our own. So then when you see let's just say like the tax proration or how the rents are being done, you just look and it matches up what you already calculated comfortably with no rush a week before. And then you can check things quickly and you're yeah. not you know it's it's easy to make a mistake if you're rushing on the day of closing or the day before or just eyeballing it like oh this looks right mm-hmm. where when you have to go through and make your own you really check everything yeah you know like how many parcels did this deal have like actually this one it didn't have one tax parcel it had two you yeah. know so like you just take your time and then you make it on your own and then you have everything at your fingertips when it comes out nothing's rushed
0: yeah so um you know just kind of going off of that so you know i had to coordinate everybody for for the closing make sure you know certain wet copies or actually signed physical copies of of whatever we were signing got sent to the correct places and then um one of the most important things that that we always do is a a final walkthrough Um, because you want to go see the property make sure you know um people haven't broken in and completely destroyed you know renovated units or there's been a fire which is you've told me some stories that you've heard about. yeah
1: i mean i saw a post on linkedin where it was a building that had caught fire like the week of closing yeah they still closed on it and then uh and they found out after closing right they didn't do a final walk in the in the post was about hiring a good due diligence team for your deal yeah and i commented i think on the thread i was like you need to just go to the property yourself yeah you are the buyer and people are investing a lot of money with us yeah and it would be our job to make sure on the day before closing day of closing to go to it Mm -hmm. make sure it's fine yeah and then buy it yeah i've never on my own deals i've done you know 40 final walkthroughs i guess but i've never there's never been a problem where we couldn't close we have ended up catching a couple like little things where like on one deal we asked the seller to do something they were dragging their feet on doing it they never did it then they just credited us like the money to do it yeah at the end it's never been um a situation where yeah something caught fire that was more of a thing i saw it just yeah. kind of got me going because they're talking about you need to hire a good team and it's like you don't need a you need to go there yourself yeah and the problem was this team they didn't actually go themselves so you mm-hmm. paid them and they didn't do the like what they were supposed to basically right yeah that's so yeah one so what we yeah then how this worked were then um you did the final walkthrough, yep. on I think for both these deals right and yep. then um and then I I sort of quarterbacked the closing from there cuz yeah. you were out of town so that's yeah. one thing too where if you're buying deals in another market it's going to be pretty tough to do everything on your own mm-hmm. where um right we're closing another deal next week and then you're going down there again if it was right. just all you this would be like a lot to do oh yeah so but um but yeah i have we have done yeah and then we um even when i have closed deals in minnesota and stuff like i've had a local partner there that could Mm -hmm. you know do a final walkthroughs and everything so nice well yeah i think that's that's great yeah i mean great job with uh i mean well great job on this episode i mean for one i mean and great job finding the deal and working through everything with me and getting it getting it closed
0: yeah thank you yeah it's uh worked out and uh closed on two new deals here so yeah great learning experience and just keep it rolling.
1: Yeah, I know all in your first year yeah, so, it's, it's over here. Uh, so how exciting. Perfect. Well, yeah. Thanks again for being on, Sam. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcast. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, Check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our hundred-plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Breneman and guests as of the date of recording, and you- not purport to reflect the views or opinions of RISE Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities, and the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.